Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Reed Option Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jordan Reed, and I am joined tonight with, or by Dre Harris, I should say. Brentley is not here tonight, so we are running a two-man show tonight. Me and Dre, as always, we will hold you down tonight with plenty of things to discuss. But Dre, how's everything going with you, man? It's going great, man. Thanks for having me again. Glad to be back on the pod. Ready to get started, man. Absolutely. As always, had a, a entertaining game at first last night between the Packers and then also the Lions. The Lions fell 35 to 17. Big night for Aaron Rodgers, 22 of 27, 255 yards, four touchdowns. Aaron Jones was the culprit of all four of those touchdowns, three receiving, one rushing. So it was a big night for the Packers for them to get back on track. But it's going to be a long year for the Lions. Jared Goff did not look good at all, specifically towards the end. He was just out there just trying to stay afloat. But issues galore for the Lions, specifically on the defensive side of the ball and then on offense. But we all know that this is a complete rebuild for them. But everybody got all excited after they had the big victory in week one. But Or excuse me, they competed in week one. They didn't get the victory. But it's going to be a long year in Detroit. But what were some things that you saw from the game? A few of the things uh, that I saw, first of all, I was really proud of both quarterbacks, man. Uh, Both of them, of course, uh, played at the greatest school uh, in the country, University of California, Berkeley. Um, but I thought Jared played well, man. Uh, um, I, I think that uh, he's been dealt a tough hand. That roster is not very good. They've been hit with some injuries. Uh, Jared was 26 of 36 uh, for 246 yards, two touchdowns. He threw a pick late. Um, uh, he also turned uh, turned it over by way of fumble. Um, but they've got a lot of issues there in Detroit. Um, on the flip side, though, I thought Aaron played well. Um, he got back uh, back on track, and I'm sure he heard all of the noise this week. So I'm sure he felt good going out there, uh, going 22 for 27, throwing for 250, 255 yards, uh, four touchdowns, and and no picks. I mean, so uh, I thought that they both played well, um, but it seems like on two opposite ends um, of the spectrum uh, when it comes to the overall team. Yeah, that division is – going to be really, really interesting just because, you know, the Packers have dominated it for so long. The Lions are probably going to be the doormat there. Minnesota is all over the place right now. Don't even get me started on them. And then Chicago, we'll see what happens What as far as what their future holds at quarterback. We'll see how long Andy Dalton is out. So the NFC North is really going to be interesting. But I want to remind you guys, uh, we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. That's NFL100. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book experts. So, man, it was a thrilling weekend of college football, I must say. And we're going to have three games that we get into Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and then Penn State 
in Auburn. But I thought for the most part, two of those games were really interesting. Georgia, South Carolina wasn't really competitive throughout the game, but we know with that Georgia defense and how well that they have played. But I'm going to start with the Alabama and Florida game. Alabama pulls out the victory 31 to 29 and Alabama dominated early on in the first half, but Florida was really able to run the ball much more successfully in the second half. They finished up with 245 rushing yards Emory Jones settled in in the second half from what I thought. Um, but, I mean, it, it was uncharacteristic of Alabama as far as that defense getting ran really right down the teeth of the defense. And we know Nick Saban and how emotional he can be, especially when you're marching up and down the field on, on his defense, which is very uncharacteristic of that defense. But, I mean, I was impressed with Florida and what they were able to do. I really loved how they came out and competed. They could have laid down when it was 21-3. to but they showed me a lot in this game. And then just some of my biggest takeaways, Jaleel Billingsley, it was good to see him get out of the doghouse with a touchdown catch. Jamison Williams is really coming into his own wide receiver from Alabama when he was coming over from Ohio State. He not only stood out as a, as a pass-catching threat, but he made some plays as the gunner on punt team as well. So those were some of my biggest takeaways. But what were some of your biggest recaps from this game? You know, I think Dan uh... – Mullen, uh, Florida's coach, man, he had those guys uh, uh, ready to, to play, man. And of course, you have to play your best uh, brand of football um, unless you, you'll get ran off the, uh, the field, man, playing against Bama. Um, but I thought Florida gave Alabama everything that they wanted, man. Like they were down early uh, in the first half. Uh, I thought that Alabama came out hitting on all cylinders offensively. Bryce Young continues to, to look like one of the very best young quarterbacks in the country. Uh, he was 22 of 35 for 233 yards. Uh, uh, he threw a few balls that he liked to have back, um, but I thought that uh, Alabama was set them apart. Is their uh, their mental toughness and their physical toughness? They were resilient in the face of adversity, um, and their their physical brand of football seemed to wear uh, down Florida's defense late. And I thought that that was uh, eventually the story of the game and why they were able to uh, to, to, to eke out a close win. Now guys like Brian Robinson and some of the other backs that they have in mm -hmm. that backfield, they were just able to put the game away late. But mm -hmm. Alabama, they showed some chinks in their armor, I thought, for the first time in a very long time. We saw how explosive they were last year with Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think they're as nearly as talented on the perimeter as what we have seen in years past. And I like John Mechie and Jamison Williams, and they have some other young guys that they like a lot. But as far as three or four guys deep that can be potential early round guys, just don't see that from them like we have seen in years past. And, you know, I, I was texting some friends about this and that it's kind of like we don't have a dominant team in college football this year like we have seen in years past. And I think Georgia is probably the only one that's probably been the most impressive so far as far as both sides of the ball. But Clemson struggling mightily on offense as far as their passing game, Ohio State. Their defense has looked terrible so far this year. Um, Oklahoma, they barely got past Nebraska, which nobody saw coming as far as that game being competitive. So I think there's a lot of parity in college football this year. But let's go ahead and go to that Georgia-South Carolina game. Georgia is a school that you were able to scout this year. And, I mean, they blew the doors off of South Carolina, even though the, the score was a little bit closer than what I thought the, the game really indicated. They ended up winning the game 40-13, to 13, but they were in cruise control the entire game. JT Daniels, what I thought was really interesting about this game, they were trying to play Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels for whatever reason. They were alternating series, but JT, I think, is obviously the more talented of the two from an arm talent perspective. 
um, James Cook, and then that backfield, Zamir White, and then Milton. That three-headed monster back there is just a problem, man. That's going to be a problem for a lot of people throughout the country. And then Jordan Davis. I'm really impressed with the next step that he has taken in his development. And he's never going to be that high-quality pass rusher that's going to consistently show a, a high repertoire of moves or anything like that. But as far as pushing the pocket and being a valuable guy on third down, I think he's played much better. He's played with a much better – he's played much more energetic this year, I will say, on third down. So there was a lot of question marks as far as why he came back to school for his senior year. But we're starting to see why he came back. And I think he's helped himself a bunch already this year. So just your overall takeaways and maybe a couple of players that stood out to you in this game. Of course, man. Uh, Jordan, man. Uh, Jordan Davis uh, has has certainly proved that, uh, that he can play on three downs. Um, I think that uh, uh, whether it was just being in shape uh, this past season, uh, but um, he's he's certainly shown that he's not only an early down uh, run stopper, that he can certainly push the pocket as a bull rusher on third down. I think if if, if there was going to be a year that Georgia beats Alabama, it's going to be this year, right? I think that Georgia uh, has a talented defense. They got a number of players who will play on Sunday just on the defense side of the ball. And during uh, the South Carolina versus Georgia game, I thought the story of the game was Georgia's defense. Georgia, uh, Georgia has a defense full of players who will play on Sunday. Adam Anderson was a monster in that game. He had three sacks and nine pressures. Uh, he was he was he was most effective um, as a speed rusher on the edge. I thought the uh, sign played well from a safety spot. Uh, Nolan Smith uh, had two sacks um, too as well. I thought that uh, Georgia also held Clemson to three points uh, in the season opener. I think they're playing inspired football on defense um, in Athens, and I think this is going to be a special year in Athens uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs. I think this is the year that they beat Alabama. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think, like, if they don't get it done this year, I don't think Kirby is ever going to beat Saban just because, like I said, I think with how vulnerable Alabama's defense looked as far as their run defense and then right. the strength of Georgia's offense being that rushing attack and that three-headed monster and then how well that defense is playing this year, I'm interested to see what happens in that game. And Saban just seems to always have Kirby Smart's number, no matter what it is or whatever the stage is. But – I'm with you. I think this is the year where they possibly can get it done. But I want to talk about Adam Anderson a little bit just because, you know, you were a little bit down on him coming into the year just because you wanted to see him go out and actually prove it this year just because it got a lot of hype being one of the highest rated seniors by pretty much every scouting service. And then us as well, we had a pretty high grade on him. But as far as just wanting to see him go out and do it, are you seeing a little bit more – as far as in his pass rush arsenal this year, just because I know we both can agree that he was very raw. He really was getting by off of athletic ability. and He was just pretty much a DPR speed rusher through this point in his career up until this season. So what are some of the improvements that you're seeing with Anderson so far this year? I think you're seeing, you know, a guy who's doing a lot more than just being a speed rusher on the edge. I mean, he's showing moves now. Um, uh, he's not necessarily – uh, the most fluid guy. I mean, but the thing that he showed both last season and this season is the ability to get home. He consistently provides pressure on the edge. I think uh, this past season he had over uh, 15 to, um, um, to 20 
pressures. And so he's proven uh, that he can rush the quarterback um, and continue to be effective. I think that the thing that sets him apart this year is his ability to show a few different moves and have a have a few different uh, uh, things in his in his pass rush arsenal, which kind of help him to uh, get to the quarterback. So um, I'm just glad to see him uh, uh, show some uh, more flexibility uh, and fluidity uh, and array of pass rush moves um, on the edge. And that's not necessarily something that you saw from him uh, this past season. So uh, he certainly has appeared to take that next step um, going into his final season. Yeah, and I remember you bringing him up in our scouted meetings and you just wanted to see him go out and just improve in those aspects. And we knew it was going to come eventually. It was just a matter of him just getting more reps just because he didn't have a lot of reps, just because he had so much talent in front of him. So that light is really starting to come on for him. But I want to stay on that defensive line. And Jordan Davis, I want to go back to him just because we talk a lot about draft range with these interior defensive linemen. But I think with players like Vita Vea showing what he can do in Tampa Bay, and I'm not saying Jordan Davis is Vita Vea, Vita Vea, excuse me, as far as a pass rush option, but just how much that can improve the interior of your defense. And I'm thinking teams like the Dallas Cowboys or the Las Vegas Raiders that have needs along the interior defensive line. How high do you take somebody like a Jordan Davis? Do you take him the second round, third round, or do you even possibly tempt and take him late first round? Just where do you see him? And I know we're months away from the draft, but somebody like a Jordan Davis, how high do you value him? You know, I think that coming into the season, for me, one of the biggest question marks uh, for him was uh, uh, if he had true uh, value on third downs. I think he's showing that. Right. And so uh, when he's pushing the pocket as a bull rusher and uh, really affecting pass plays, I think you have to think about him uh, in the uh, light of being able to push his way into the end, the first round. I think it comes down to how you value him within your defensive scheme. But at the end of the day, it starts up front. And if you can shore up the middle of your front and have someone who is basically he cannot be, be moved with s- s- single blocks um so he he can uh play in a two in a two gap scheme or a single gap scheme um i think he comes down on how you value where you'll play him but if he c- continues to play like he has um he has a chance man to go uh on day one of the draft um in my opinion i definitely could see the raiders taking him in the first round, just because we know the Raiders aren't scared to go against the grain. Mm-hmm. He's a senior. He comes from a big program as well. We know that's what Mike Mayock really caters to. And then they have a huge need at defensive tackle as well. So, I mean, Jordan Davis, he's played phenomenal this year. I posted a, a clip of him against UAB of where he just ran the quarterback down on the sideline. Dude is 6'6", 340 pounds. <laughs> just hauling tail towards the sideline. Just that's the type of effort that he's playing with this year. You can tell there's a little bit more hunger in him this year just because he wanted to he, – he has a point to prove when he came back for his senior season, and he's kind of playing with that type of purpose. So mm-hmm. uh, shout out to him for coming back and, you know, just improving on exactly what he set out to do in that senior season. But I want to go ahead and transition to this last game, and it's Penn State and Auburn. And I think this was the best game of the night, and it was the night game Penn State ended up coming out with a victory 28 to 20 and this was a back and forth game throughout the game I really enjoyed this game for the most part and you know everybody talked about how this was an even matchup the quarterbacks Bo Nix Sean Clifford everybody was talking about those two 
And, you know, everybody has their own opinions about both of those guys. <laughs> but both of them are gamers. Both of them proved to be gamers in this matchup. But the one player that I just kept coming back to that really, really impressed me was the wide receiver, Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Just the catches that he was able to make whenever they needed a crucial play, they were able to go to him. He had a catch on an over route that I thought was outstanding. I believe it was in the second quarter. And then he had a really nice snag in the third quarter as well where he went up and grabbed the ball out of the air. So Jahan Dotson was one player that really stood out to me in this game. And then the young back for Auburn, Tank Bixby, who we're probably going to be talking about a bunch this time next year in that terrific 2023 running back class. I mean, mm -hmm. I was blown away by how well he was able to play in this game too. So what were some of your biggest takeaways or maybe a couple of players that caught your eye? Yeah, man, I think the Penn State came out and played inspired football uh, for James Franklin uh, before he takes his job and heads west to USC. <laughs> um, I think, uh, Sean Clifford came out and played well. He was, he was 28-32 for 280 yards. He completed almost 90% of his passes, so he clearly outplayed Bo Nix. The thing that was surprising is Dotson plays so well um, from the receiver spot for Penn State, and and Auburn has prospects who uh, has guys who we think could play on Sundays, and guys like uh, and guys like Smoke Monday and Roger McCreary. Uh, they're NFL prospects, but I thought that John Dotson played well and did anything that he, he wanted and gave them fit. So I think that they have some uh, questions to answer in the secondary. Uh, and up front, their pass rush uh, uh, needs to needs to improve. But surprisingly, the Auburn Tigers are not playing well um, and need to figure out ways to make more plays in the secondary. And, and that's something uh, that stood out to me. Yeah, I was really surprised with how much the secondary struggled in this game. Nehemiah Pritchard is another guy that we probably think could be an early round selection on Sundays as well. So they have a lot of talent in that secondary, but they just weren't able to keep up with these Penn State weapons, specifically Dotson. I mean, that dude was all over the field and he was snagging the ball all over the heads of their defensive backs too. So was really surprised by that. But I want to go back to the earlier point you made with James Franklin in USC. You think he's going to be the guy in Southern Cal? I think if they're going to throw a big bag of money at James Franklin, they'd be wise to do so because James Franklin has – has proven that he can coach ball. He's proven that he can recruit. He's proven that he can run a tight shit, uh, and and it takes a certain type of uh, a certain type of figure to be able to go to a, a national program uh, like USC, man, with the storied history uh, that it has. Um, so I think that uh, there are only a handful of guys, in my opinion, um, that can go to USC. Um, but I tell you, you what though, if he does. He's going to be able to recruit the Western, uh, the West Coast man, and be able to have a lot of the guys stay home because that is something that he has been able to do at Penn State is get quality talent year in, year out to come to Penn State. And um, I anticipate that he'd be able to do the same thing if he were to take the job um, at USC. I think that's the big issue at USC right now, just not being able to keep that homegrown talent home. And yeah. Just think about all the quarterbacks that are leading big programs right now. They're from California, the quarterbacks. You have mm -hmm. DJ Uwe Ungalele at Clemson. You have um, – who was another? Matt Corral. Found. Oh, Ole Miss, Matt Corral is from California. Uh, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, he's from California. So there's so yeah. many quarterbacks. Who would you say? So is uh, – so is... 
Bryce Young. Yeah, Bryce Young. There you go. Another one at mm-hmm. Alabama yep. from California. So USC is missing, and they're letting all of these players go out of state just because, I mean, they haven't been winning. And Clay Hilton just hasn't been a super appealing guy either as far as a figurehead and a leader that a lot of people want to play for. So I think that's why USC is so behind in recruiting right now. So they're going to have to really swing for the fences, like you said, and they're going to have to have a really nice or standout figurehead to feel in this job. And I think somebody like a James Franklin could come in and turn it around, maybe not necessarily super quick, but we know the one thing that Franklin is going to be able to do is recruit. That's something that he's been able to do consistently at Penn State is being able to recruit. And, I mean, when you take a prominent job like a USC, which is easily a top three to five job in the nation just because of the storied history and then the accolades and everything, the glitz and glamour that comes with being in Southern California, I mean, I I don't blame them if they throw a big bag of money at James Franklin, like you said. But I think there's going to be a lot of people that want this job that aren't going to come out and say it. But I think Franklin definitely has to be atop the list. But do you have any other candidates that you think possibly could sneaky be a candidate for this job that you would like to see potentially? Uh, that's a good question, man. Um, uh, nothing comes to mind off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you know again, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes with agents and things that you don't hear. I mean, I think it's a job that a lot of people are going to cover for sure. Um, so who knows, man? I mean, it, it could be a surprise pick, man, out of nowhere. But if I'm if I'm USC, I'm wise to throw as much money at James Franklin as he wants, man. So one name that was floated out there, and I'm not sure if you've seen Schefter tweet about it. It actually was EB, Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. Do you – you started smiling. <laughs> now you're shaking your head. No. You don't, don't think EB would take that job? Uh, me personally, no. I mean, I – he said so, uh, or he said um, in uh, in times past, I mean, that that's the one job in college that he would consider. You know, I don't think he had a great experience uh, just coming from his alma mater. Uh, so in, in my opinion, you know, I don't know personally, uh, but in my opinion, I think the EB will, would be inclined to stay mm-hmm. in, in the league. Um, but uh, – I think it's going to be interesting, though, man, because he's going to have to take one of these jobs soon because he's going to have to strike while the iron's hot, man. And and, and uh, he's come up short, man, the last, seen, what, three, four years. Um, and and, and their, their, their offense has continued to, uh, to, to play well and have success, but he's not he hasn't been able to land a head job. I mean, so at some point he's going to have to take a, a job and prove that he can – uh, that he can lead and and um, and do the things that, that he needs to do as a head coach. My biggest fear with EB is just him, maybe not necessarily being in a rush to take a job, but him trying to strike while the iron is hot and taking the wrong job. Yeah. I think that's something that I hope he doesn't do. But, I mean, I would like him at USC. Uh, would it be my first choice? Probably not. I probably would go James Franklin just because I think I'm I'm not a huge fan of NFL coaches coming back to coach college just because it's such a big adjustment. And there's mm-hmm. been success stories. You know, Herm Edwards is a great example of somebody that's been able to turn it into a success. But I just think college coaches need to be college coaches. And I think James Franklin probably would be atop my list. Mario Cristobal probably would be the next one. But there's no reason for him to leave Oregon just because how well he has that program rolling right now. So, I mean, Franklin and Cristobal probably would be the two guys that I have atop the list. Um 
but yeah, that, that's a good discussion. We got a little bit off course right there. But that's the great thing about talking ball. You yeah. find some new topics <laughs> that you get to right. talk about. But I accidentally skipped over our game balls segment. So let's go ahead and do that. Did you have some players that you wanted to give out some game balls to? Maybe somebody that stood out or caught your eye this weekend. And I'll go first. Uh, George Karloftis from Purdue was one guy that really stood out to me against Notre Dame. And I will admit, I wasn't a huge fan of Loftus coming into the year just because I didn't really know where to play him. And he struggled last year. He was battling COVID, only played in three games. And I just thought he wasn't super explosive coming off of the edge, but he looks like what we saw from him in 2019. He looks much more explosive. He looks healthy, but just his power. like I, That's the one thing that really stands out to me about him, just how powerful his hands are. He has versatility as well. And I know Notre Dame was banged up across the offensive line, but he can't control that. All he can do is just go out and take advantage of the guys across from him. And I thought he did that. And, you know, he was in Bruce Feldman's freak list, so he's he's going to test out of the roof. And maybe even though he doesn't necessarily play with that same type of explosiveness as what he will test, I think he does show signs of it at times. But as far as the power, the strength that he has at the point of attack and then the versatility that he plays with, they stood him up as a five technique. Sometimes he put his hands in the dirt as well. He slid aside to play some three and some one as well. So whenever you have that type of versatility combined with the power and then the production that he's had throughout his time at Purdue, I mean, this dude's going to be a first-round pick easily, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He plays hard, man. He plays extremely hard. For sure. Did you have anybody that you wanted to shout out or that caught yeah, your man. eye? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I would like to come out west. Of course, I'm a little bit biased, uh, but I could like to come out west and talk to you about a quarterback who hasn't been getting a ton of love. His name is Jake Hayner. He was transferred from the University of, of Washington. Uh, he currently plays at Fresno State. He, he's been lighting teams up uh, and s- uh, so far this season. Um, I think he leads the country in passing yards. Uh, Fresno just upset 13th-ranked UCLA at the Rose Bowl. He was outstanding during that game. He was uh, he completed 73% uh, percent of his passes for 455 yards. Uh, he, he has several explosive plays uh, with two t- t- touchdowns, including the game-winning throw uh, with 14 seconds left. So he's been playing out of his mind. Again, you know, I think he leads the country in passing yards. But write the name down, Jake Hayner, um, transfer from University of Washington, and he's been absolutely outstanding uh, so far this season. It's funny that you mentioned him. One of my scouting buddies said they just texted me his name. And I had never heard of him before coming into the year just because you always have these quarterbacks that come out of nowhere. And I got the film loaded up to check him out this week. So I'm excited to dive into his film there and see how he played against yeah. UCLA and then earlier on in season two. So I can't give a full assessment on him, um, but I will have some thoughts in a later show just because I'm really excited to dive into his film. And I heard he looked really good against UCLA and he's putting up some crazy numbers this mm-hmm. year too. But another player that I did want to shout out that I thought looked terrific on Saturday was Kyer Elam, the cornerback from Florida. And we know whenever you play against Alabama, that's going to be the first tape that these scouts pop in just because that's your highest quality opponent. And then you're going against some of the best wide receivers in the country as well. And I thought Elam looked terrific in the game and he had a ticky tacky pass interference call early on in the game where he kind of grabbed the shoulder pad and met you a little bit, but he really was competing in my opinion, but had three pass breakups in the game. And you saw a lot of his traits shine. You saw the length, the aggression, him going up and attacking the ball out of the air. He had a really nice pass breakup in the third quarter. I believe it was on the post route. So 
I think Elam helped himself a ton, especially when you're talking about the strong cornerback class with him, Stingley, Andrew Booth, Trent McDuffie. The list goes on and on of some of these possible first-round corners that we could see in this class. I think his name is right up there near the top with Stingley and Booth right now. And then, of course, Amai Sauce Gardner as well. We can't forget about him throwing him into that mix. So I'm really excited about this cornerback class. I think Elam helped himself a ton. Did you have anybody else that you wanted to add, that you wanted to add? Uh, two guys from uh, schools that aren't necessarily as big. Uh, Chad Muma, uh, he continues to play well for the University of Wyoming. And a linebacker uh, named Justin Rice out of Utah State, he continues to play well. Uh, he actually is tied for the uh, for the National League in picks, and he plays linebacker, man. He plays hard, plays a little like his hair, uh, his hair is on fire. He's all over the field. Um, keep your eye uh, on those two uh, guys who are from uh, uh, less story programs, Chad Muma from University of Wyoming and Justin Rice from Utah State. I just wrote Justin Rice's name down. I'm going to have to check him out. I don't get to watch some of those late night games, man. You know, I'm on the East Coast, so those games are on 10, 30, 11 o'clock. For me, I'm starting to wind down around those times. So, you know, I'll be going to check those games out, but be dozing off with the remote in hand, going back and forth between those games. You wake up like 2, 3 in the morning like, dang, I slept through the game. So I'm going to have to go back and check out Rice for sure. But let's go ahead and move on to the NFL. And – you know, we want to talk about two or three takeaways that we had. We're not we're not going to go through every single game just because we don't really have time to do that. But as far as some of the biggest takeaways from the week two of NFL action, I mean, there's a lot. There was a lot of things that happened in the NFL in week two. But the great thing about the NFL is that there's always going to be something else that pops up that you can talk about. But one of my biggest takeaways was just the first round corners or just the early round corners in general really stood out to me. Patrick Sertain was able to get his first interception, JC Horn, and then also Asante Samuel Jr. stood out as well. JC got his first career pick and I think Asante was able to get his first career pick as well. So those guys are really starting to stand out. We in, what was the one thing that we said about all three of those guys? They were going to translate very early on just because they have the NFL pedigree. They really grew up in NFL locker rooms. All of their fathers were parts of, you know, the NFL for a very long time. And that's something that's always valued just because we talk about maturity and just how well they translate over to the next level. So one of my biggest takeaways is just J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain, and then Asante Samuel Jr., how well they've been able to translate early on to the NFL game. What about you? I think it's been uh, it's been talked about a ton, man. But just the Arizona Cardinals, man, I think the Cardinals will finish the year as one of the best offenses in the national football ball league man Kyler Murray has been nothing short of, of amazing uh he can beat you in a number of ways uh the Cardinals are in every game because their offense um particularly uh Kyler man I mean he uh makes outstanding plays he extends plays with his legs uh the play is never over and from a cornerback standpoint man I mean he makes you cover for a long period of time man because he can scramble uh, he can extend plays, and then they've got so many dynamic weapons, both in the slot and on the outside. They have one of the best offenses, hands down, in the National Football League. It just remains to be seen to, uh, to see if it translates to wins overall for the team. But it, but they, without a doubt, have one of the best offenses in the uh, in the in the National Football League. They can score with anybody, man. I mean, mm-hmm. Rondell Moore looks like a hit, the second-round pick. They're really using him 
been the screen game predominantly, and they haven't even really unlocked his ability as far as going down the field a whole bunch right now. And it's elevated Christian Kirk. It's, that competition has made him play better. We know what D-Hop, DeAndre Hopkins is capable of. A.J. Green is really sprinkling it in the mix a little bit as well. So, I mean, they're so explosive. And then Kyler, he's ridiculous. Like, as a defensive lineman, I would hate playing that dude just because you can have him contained in the pocket and then he'll just escape. And we know that kind of like jitterbug type of movement so <laughs> where he's just – it's just hard to bring him down, man, just because the one thing about Kyler that I think he does a great job of is that – I've never seen nobody get like a clean shot on him right. just because he's so good with protecting his body. He'll slide when he has to, he'll get down when he has to, but also he can make people miss in space easily. And then when he escapes the pocket, it's like Sandlot football, like we see with Russell Wilson. He can make things right even when the play caller feels as if they're in the wrong play. And that's what he was able to do against Minnesota. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think they have one of the more explosive offenses in the NFL. They still have some issues on defense, particularly in the secondary. I think they still need some help there. But Buda Baker was outstanding on Sunday. The way he's able – like his run defense, the way he's able to come down from the third level. Like yeah. Dalvin Cook had a bunch of 8- to 10-yard runs that could have been much bigger. But the way he was able to save the day, in a sense, when he was coming downhill was phenomenal. And then I like the other safety, Thompson. Yeah, I think he, he was a really good find for them as well. He's one of the more underrated players in the league, in my opinion. Byron Murphy is getting better, too. So I still think the linebackers, they have some growing to do, specifically against the run. I thought Zayvon struggled a little bit. And then Isaiah Simmons is still trying to figure things out a little bit, too. So, But they do have some promising pieces, I will say that. And there's plenty of excitement around this team for sure. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. But I'm going to come back to you. Do you have anything else that, that was your biggest takeaway from – the week two of the season. Then I think uh, Cleveland, man. I think they're they. Cleveland has uh, one of the best uh, uh, best best rosters in the National League from top to bottom. Um, their head coach is an amazing play caller. Kevin Stefanski is scheming circles and around every team that they play. He continues to put them in advantageous situations. Uh, they have a, a top three offensive line in the league. The thing about Cleveland is, in my opinion, they're built to play in December because they can run football with Nick Chubb yeah. and Kareem Hunt. I think that they're going to win the AFC North. Uh, they still have some questions, of course, to answer on defense, what their ability um, uh, to run the football, play physical. Uh, they have the best line of the National Football League. And Kevin Stefanski, man, is just doing an outstanding job as a play caller and coordinator and putting them in great situations, man. So I really look like Cleveland. I think that they're doing an outstanding job there in Berea. Andrew Barry's done a hell of a job putting that roster together, man. Like, it's just next man up with Odell going down, Jarvis going down. They just have these other dudes, these young dudes that are stepping up and taking their mm -hmm. place. We know that two-headed monster that they have in the backfield with Chubb and then also Kareem Hunt. And then the offensive line is playing really well right now. Baker, I mean, Baker's being Baker. Uh, we all have our opinions on him, but he's pretty much – he's not the straw that stirs the drink, but I think he's he's – He's the perfect quarterback for what they have as far as trying to keep the ship afloat. I think that's really what he's trying to do right now. But he's working towards the big deal. He's trying to prove that he can do that. Uh, I think him being able to come back against Kansas City, if he was able to do that last week, that would have been 
really, really big for him as far as getting a contract extension, but he's still trying to prove that aspect of this game. But I'm really impressed with this defense and how well they've been able to play. Clowney has been decent for the most part. We know what Miles Garrett is capable of. But the secondary, I thought Grant Delpit looked outstanding last week. And then the young corners are playing well, too. Greg Newsom, uh, even though he did give up, I believe he gave up a touchdown on Sunday. But other than that, I think he's been flawless for the most part. So I'm excited to see how everything unfolds, especially in that division. We know Mike Tomlin is always going to have his team ready. Baltimore gets the big win uh, over Kansas City for the first time in Lamar Jackson's career. And then the Bengals look improved as well, too. So I'm excited to see what happens in that division. There's a lot of exciting quarterback play for sure. But one of my biggest takeaways that I'm really surprised by is the Raiders. I did not see a 2 no start coming for them. And, you know, we've all talked about in, in the draft media and then just the media in general of how there was some friction between Mike Mayock and John Gruden. But the play of Derek Carr so far, I think, has taken a lot of people by surprise. He's being aggressive down the field. Him and Henry Ruggs have been able to connect periodically. And then the offense is clicking. But the one thing we know about Gruden is that he's a very good play caller. Maybe not so personnel guy, but as far as play calling and putting a game plan together, John Gruden is always going to be able to do that. That's something that he's always been able to do, even going back to his days in Tampa. So the way the Vegas Raiders are playing, that's that's been one of my biggest surprises so far early, at least early on through the season anyway. Yeah, man. I think it's, uh, it, it's interesting because prior to this season, man, it seemed like they're always trying to upgrade and try to get better uh, at the quarterback spot. And Derek Carr has just continued, man, to be solid and play well. I think he's played well in the last few years. Um, I, I think that they've had more issues than Carr in years past, but they continue man, to flirt with quarterbacks and flirt with guys, and all Derek does is go out and play well and be consistent, man. So hopefully at some point Derek Carr gets the respect that he deserves and they stop flirting with other quarterbacks, man, and just try to build the team you know, around Carr. Yeah, he's he's forcing them to do that right now. I'm re- I've been really impressed with what Carr has been able to do. But did you have anything else to add before we get out of here? Mm. All right, cool. That is our show for today. As always, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the Draft Network on all social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, or however social media platforms that you are able to consume. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review to the Read Option Podcast. As always, I am Jordan Reed. He is Dre Harris. Thank you guys for listening, of course. Once again, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and we will be back for Friday's show to preview week four of college football, talk about our red dot players, some players that we will have our eye on going into the weekend. So as always, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you on Friday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.